I want to welcome those of you who are joining us online, Branchville. Can we give our hand to a Branchville facility campus? Good morning, gentlemen. We're so glad you're joining with us. Now, if you're a guest here with us, let me say a very special welcome to you. There's a card in the seat back pocket in front of you. If you take it, scan it, fill it all out. Uh, we'll send you a little gift there to our cafe. Love to get to know that you're visiting here with us. Now, if you don't want people to know that you came, do nothing. Absolutely nothing, and no one will be any of the wiser. You can just slip out. Tonight, we were so excited about tonight. We were so excited about tonight. Unfortunately, because of the forecasted rain that's getting ready to come, and already the tar pit that is our campus, uh, we don't want you coming around here, and, uh, you know, we don't mind that you mess the place up. Uh, I'm just afraid you're going to get mad that we messed up everything you own by your kids slopping around everything. And so what we've done is we've rescheduled for August. We don't have the final date yet, so we are rescheduling. We're not throwing it all at the event. We didn't want to shoot off fireworks or no one would see them, okay? And we're hoping that Canada's no longer on fire by the time uh, we start it. So those are some of the things that we're doing. So tonight, if you're planning on joining us, please uh, make other arrangements. Uh, we're sorry. We were sad this morning coming in. We're trying to figure it out. We're like, can we buy some big vacuums and suck it out? And then we went and looked at the little pier we built for the belly flop contest. It's underwater. So, uh, you know, it's not much of a flop contest left. And so we're going to reschedule it so we can have a good church party all together. Is that okay with you guys? All right. Awesome. Everybody say two weeks. Two weeks. two weeks. I'm so excited because July 16th, we're having our first all worship night here at the church. So no one's going to be preaching. No one's going to be talking. It's just straight all worship on July 16th. Okay. So you're going to want to be here 6 PM. It's going to be an amazing night. The worship team has been working on it. We'll all be here. Our staff will be here. It's just going to be an amazing night. We've got childcare for eight years old and under, but then those nine and up will join you in worship, uh, with you. It's just going to be an incredible night. Uh, I don't know if we have enough seats for everybody, but come on in, you know, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be a great thing. We're in week two of our series stand, which is a study of the book of Daniel. Right? If you weren't here last week, we talked about you have to know how to stand up at the right time for the right reasons. And we really pushed into and emphasized what it meant in a culture that wants you to blend in how important it is to stand out. Now, let me tell you about week two. This, this week is my least favorite of all five that we're doing. Because I feel like it'll give some of you ammo to do something I don't want you to do. But you have to learn it. You have to know it. You have to understand what God is doing. You have to go with it. And so I want to help you, okay, learn up to stand up for what is right. Because eventually, you're going to have to confront somebody. Every time you prayerfully consider something, you're going to have to confront somebody at some time. So I want you to learn how to do it right for the right reason at the right time. Because it doesn't matter if it's your daughter, your son, your coworker. At some point, you're going to have to confront somebody. And it's just going to be, it might be somebody you love, somebody you don't know. Okay, somebody you're not in relation with. And I want you to know how to do it the right way. 
Some of you. I'm afraid that I'm giving you a message that's like handing you a loaded gun and a bottle of bourbon. You're like, I've been waiting for this day where Pastor Darrell goes rogue and he unleashes us to bash everybody we've ever met, right? And then immediately you become Johnny Law for Jesus. You're just out there, you know, you're like, I got you, sinner. I am in, okay? This is what my pastor said, right? So I want to take a poll real quick. I want to take a real quick poll. How many of you by nature, okay, are non-confrontational? Some of you still don't have your hand up because you're like, I'm too passive even for that. I don't want to get the, I know what you're about to ask and I don't want that person to look at me and be like, easy target, right? How many of you have no problem with confrontation? You're all about it. All right. Okay, make sure, pat them down. Okay. At some point, we're all going to have to do it, so we might as well learn how to do it properly and through Scripture. And here's the two confrontational extremes. The first one is this. Some people are unwilling to confront. That's one of the extremes. They're just unwilling. They'll say things like, that's none of my business. We need to just let people live the way they are. We need to stay out of that. How many of you have ever heard that before? Who am I to judge Right, We say things like that. Who am I to judge? I, I, I shouldn't be a part of that, right? And they kind of take the baby monitor approach to life. As long as the baby is still in the crib, he hasn't fallen down and broken his head or screaming, it's all good, right? But how many of you know you can look at the monitor and know something's wrong with the baby and it's coming and it's easier to intervene, you're just too tired to do it, right? I've been there. That's what parenting was like back in the 80s. They'll out. No, that'll give us trauma. That's what we learned 12 years later, right? So you have some people who are unwilling to confront. The second kind of extreme is some people confront unlovingly. They are so excited to confront people that they do it unlovingly. They just come out of nowhere. They are the drive-by confrontation people, right? It's like a drive-by. They've never met you. Boom, 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 shoot a ton of stuff at you. And you're like, why did you shoot me? I don't even know you. They leave no explanation. You're just sitting there riddled with bullets and you're like, what happened? What happened? That's what happens spiritually. This is what happens on social media. How many of you know you can write something and then a million people you've never met have an opinion on your life? I like to write people back. I'm like, do I know you? Because see, there are people who wave at me who actually do know me and then I don't wave back and they're like, Pastor Gerald was mean to me today. He didn't wave at me. Then there are people that wave in my direction. I wave back and then they're like, that creepy pastor waved at me. He thinks that everybody knows him, right? So I'm like, you know, I don't really know what to do when people are looking at me. I kind of I get gun shy now, right? And here's what I need you to understand. Rules without relationships equals confusion, right? Another way to see it is people don't want to know how much you know until they know how much you care. Right? And confrontation is part of that. We really need to seek God's wisdom on how we confront the right way at the right time for the right reason. Because if you're a follower of God for any period of time, God is going to ask you to confront somebody. If you are a parent, you're going to have to confront your children at some point. And you want to find the right balance of 
What is too much? What is too little? What is too hard? What's not enough? That, those are not easy to balance. Some of you, you have relatives or friends. Financially, you see them going into ruin and you're like, when do I step in? Okay, how do I prayerfully help? When do I say something? God is going to call every one of us to help intervene before somebody gets destroyed. You might be called in to help somebody who's struggling with pornography. How you approach somebody changes everything. Nine times out of 10, it changes the very outcome. Some of you are going to have to approach somebody who lives with seven cats and is thinking about buying 10 more. It's time. You don't have to pray about that one. Seven cats is the limit. Please, if you have eight, just, you know, tell me. I didn't mean to offend you. It's just a joke. In my youth ministry in Florida, I used to train our leaders, and we had a, a fairly large youth ministry. I used to train them. I said, hey, look, if you're going to work with messy kids, here's two things that I don't do. We don't adjust our face when we hear crazy sins because we go around telling people that all sins are the same, right? All sins keep us from Jesus, no matter what they are. So we don't change our face, and we don't pray harder depending on what you hear. Because that also teaches people that there are differences here. So not only does your face have to stay the same, when you pray, you pray the same prayer that you would have prayed for something else. We don't have this significance here, right? So you've got to stand up the right way at the right time at the wrong reason. I should write a book entitled Youth Pastors and Their Wild Confessions. Okay, be a bestseller. Okay, break everybody's I know trust. But I've seen some craziness come in front of me. And my face has had to be like, and people are like, what are you going to do? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know, but I'm not freaking out. I know my job's not to freak out because if you freak out and we all freak out, no one's going to get any help. Right? So the right time, the right reason, the right countenance. And so today we're going to look at Daniel chapter four and we're going to look at King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, if you missed last week, you missed our whole description of King Nebuchadnezzar. He's an evil king. Okay, how many of you remember Saddam Hussein? Anybody? Okay, great. You know that Saddam Hussein believed he was a reincarnation of King Nebuchadnezzar? That was his inspiration. So that should tell you a little bit of what it was like to be with King Nebuchadnezzar, right? And so here's this, right? He, he, he knows God. He, he has an interaction with Daniel who knows God and God has spoken to Daniel and King Nebuchadnezzar has seen God do things and move enough to where sometimes he's like, maybe I should serve the God of Daniel. He, he'll say it. He's like, I should serve. Nobody should go against the God of Daniel. And then inevitably pride would come back into his life and take back over. And can I be honest with you? A lot of us are in this pattern of behavior. We see God do something, we lean into God for a period of time, and then we just kind of drift back to where we're at, and we'll go, you know what, I got this from here, I don't really need God to handle it from this point on. So here's what happens. King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and it really rattles him, really messes with his brain, okay? And he calls together all his wise men, and at this point, he tells them all the dream. Right, And the Bible has two different words that it uses here. It says either they wouldn't or couldn't interpret the dream for it. Right? Most commentaries said they wouldn't interpret the dream for them. Not that they couldn't, they wouldn't. And there's a very good reason why. Kings were not known for tolerance. 
Kings were not known for being guys that if you said, hey, nice things are going to happen to you, they gave you rewards. If bad things were going to happen to you, they cut off your head. So here, here you have Daniel. The last time he's been asked to interpret a dream, he's 14. Now he's 50 years old. 50 years old, brought in front of the king, Nebuchadnezzar. And at this point, he's got a relationship with him. <clears throat> and he knows what it means, and he doesn't want to hurt him. But he has to do what is right, and he has to interpret the dream. And so the dream goes something like this, that there's a large tree, and it grew huge up into the heavens. The branches touched the sky, and all the beasts of the air came and nested upon it, and all the beasts of the earth came and slept under it, and they all had enough food to survive. Then a holy one, an angel of the Lord, comes down, scatters all the birds of the air, scatters all the beasts of the fields, and cuts down the tree to a stump. And then he says, so that the holy one, so that the stump or the person will know that God is the God most high. Right? So that's the dream. And now Daniel's got to interpret it. Right? Maybe at this point, Daniel walks in and he's like, hey, I retired from interpreting, you know, back when I was 16. You know, this really isn't my thing. I'm in sales now. You know, I failed a COVID test. I got to go. Like, I can't be here. If you've ever done any kind of like dream searching or anything like that, man, and you're having, tell me if any of these follow for you. Any of you have that dream where you're falling? Right? That's supposed to mean that there is something you can't control. How about you have forgotten an exam? You're, you're, you're about to take an exam or a test. Okay, supposedly that means you don't feel prepared. How many of you have ever been stuck, like wedged in a place? Right? Means you're overwhelmed. How many of you have ever seen dirty water in your dream? Nobody? I didn't either. Good. That supposedly means you're sick. Any of you dream about chocolate? Right? That, according to these people, they say, you think you deserve to be rewarded. Okay? How many of you have had a dream that you need to go to the bathroom? That just means you have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> there, there's nothing there. You, you just actually have to go. Have you ever had a dream where you were running around sans clothes, without clothing? That means you're insecure. I remember several years ago, I, I woke up in the middle of a dream. This was like 20 years ago. Jen, Jen and I still laugh about this. Well, I don't know if she laughs, but I do. And uh, I woke up and I'm at an altar and it's a different lady there. And the dream starts with, I now pronounce you husband and wife. And I look up and it's not Jen. I'm like, okay. And I look at my best friend who is also the pastor and I'm like, I didn't say anything. Don't you have to say something to get married? I didn't say anything. He's like, dude, that's your wife. You need to go home. And I'm like, I'm not going home. I don't know her. Uh, I, I'm, I didn't say anything. So I run away in this dream. And apparently, you know, in dreamland this last a period of time, but somehow I end up at Denny's. <laughs> right? Well, coming up at Denny's, Jen is my server. And all that happens is she walks up to me and she puts down my plate of food and she looks at me with the most disgust in her eyes. And she's like, you passed up a good thing, baby. I'm a teacher and I work at Denny's and stormed off. So if any of you know what that dream means, please let me know. I'm still trying to figure it out. So we go back and King Nebuchadnezzar has just told Daniel his dream. 
Daniel loves the king. And he says this, O king, I wish this applied to your enemies. In other words, he, he has this genuine care for him and he stands up to the king because it's the right thing to do and he wants the king to know God. And in Daniel chapter four, verse 22, it says this, your majesty, you are the tree. You have become great and strong and your greatness has grown until it reached the sky and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. And here's the interpretation. You'll be driven away from your people. You, live, you will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass. That means seven years will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the most high is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives to them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with his roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Daniel could have stopped right there and been like, I've done my job. I've interpreted the dream, just let me go. But he doesn't. He starts doing something out of love again. Now here it goes in verse 27. He's King Nebuchadnezzar, please. They have over a 40-year relationship at this point. Please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps you will continue to prosper. That is the foundation for showing how you lovingly correct somebody. How you lovingly confront somebody. Uh, stop spending your money so foolishly and do what's right. Hey, can, can I ask you to stop being harsh and do what's right? Hey, stop. Please stop disrespecting me. I love you. I want my marriage to be better. Stop doing that and do what is right. See, you're following that pattern set in verse 27. Stop sinning and do what is right. Now, I don't know what circumstances it's going to be for you or what God's going to place in your life. While you're in a loving, supporting, and all great things, God is going to ask you to be confrontational. And I want you to consider two prayerful ways to do this. And it's found in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, if any, if another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. First thing is God help me confront with restoration on my mind. Gently and humbly help that person back on to the right path. The goal of restoration, the goal of setting somebody up to, to be right has nothing to do with them being right with you. The goal is restoration to God. That's it. You're guiding them back to Jesus. It doesn't matter if it's in perfect relationship with you or not. The goal is relationship with Jesus. And your approach matters. It really does. Uh, like, I don't know how long ago this was, but I was preaching on a Sunday morning and uh, one of the youth leaders who I, who I greatly admire, uh, he was awesome back in the day, his name is Chris Baker, and I had told a joke for service and it was edgy. I, I can't imagine me ever doing that, but, but it was, and it was super edgy. And, you know, he, he came up to me in between services and he's like, hey, Pastor Darrell, can I talk to you for a second? I was like, yeah, what's going on, Chris? And he's like, 
hey, like, you know how much I love you, right? I'm like, yeah. He's like, and I'll support you. I got your back forever, no matter what happens. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to support you. I just want you to pray about this one thing. Do you really need that joke? Do you really need that joke? Now, let me tell you something. There are people that will say all kinds of things to me. But the approach mattered to me. He didn't come in here. He wasn't mean. He wasn't rude. He, he wasn't blasting me. How dare you? You call yourself a Christ follower? Put this soap in your mouth. It didn't. It was sheer love. And he's like, I got your back no matter what. I support you no matter what. Will you pray about this for me? So I did. I was like, you know what? I don't need it. I'm, I'm, I can be funny other ways. And so I did a, a different joke. Wasn't as edgy. Can I, can I submit to you, this is why your small group would be so important to you, why my small group is so important to me, that we just get to live life together, get to speak into my life all the time. Right? There's constant confrontations happening in our small group. Right? We're not perfect. You ever come to our small group? It's the most jacked up small group you ever be at. There's a weird pastor and 18 other weirdos in it. We're all learning about Jesus. And every one of us has the right to speak into somebody else's life. But it's all done in love, man. I would submit to you that that's one of the greatest environments to do it. And the second one is, God help me confront with caution. And it says this in Galatians 6 and the second part says, And be careful not to fall into the same temptation. When you are confronting somebody, you are vulnerable to pride. You're vulnerable to step up and be like, well, I'm great too. I'm more spiritual than you are. That's why I'm here. Okay, if somebody has to qualify their spirituality, they're already in the wrong. I'm just telling you, Jesus doesn't ever show up on a scene. You don't need to show up on the scene and tell everybody how spiritual you are. You're not as spiritual as Jesus is, and we're not more spiritual than the next person. The things that people see are Jesus' qualities anyway. They're not yours. Right, he's shining through you. You are not, don't get confused, you are not the light bulb. Okay? You're the vessel, but you're not the light. You have no electricity in you. Ryan, if you'll come and join me, I, I like to tell this story because it kind of illustrates how, 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 how guys can be, and I'm going to pick on my buddy Jason, and I'll text him afterward and ask him to forgive me. Uh, Jason is the world's greatest goofball. If you ever want to have a good time, Jason is your guy. Lives in Orlando. I've known him since he was, I don't know, 13, 14. And uh, Jason is wild. So I like to take wild people all over the world just to give them some pers perspective. And we were in Jamaica. And uh, we were on a mission trip there. We were working with Teen Challenge in Jamaica. And they're like, hey, we, on your day off, we want to send you guys to go do something fun. And they're like, would you like to climb a waterfall? And I was like, yeah, I love that. Waterfall, climbing, that's my jam. And they're like, well, we're not going to take you to the touristy one because there's tons of tourists over there from the cruise ships. We got this private one that you can go. But it can get a little sketchy. You just got to pay attention. I was like, pay attention? That's what we do. Like, I pay attention to everything. So we start climbing up this 
waterfall thing and it's like five teeters. Boom, one right after the other and we're like manhandling it and we're all having a good time. There's 10 of us. And one of our girls in this group, her and Jason are super close. Crystal and Jason were like best friends, have been forever. And all of a sudden, we see Crystal's legs go up and over the waterfall. I'm concerned, but I'm not super concerned. She's not my best friend. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay. But she goes over the side. Now Jason freaks out, right? At the bottom of the next tier, there was a tree that had grown into the rock and was creating like a water vortex that would like suck you in and take you under. Now the whole time, We've been told, don't go near the vortex. Don't go near that. Nobody you know is stronger than that thing. It'll suck you into the tree and just drown you there because it doesn't come out anywhere. Just gets stuck there. So I'm trying to have a very quick conversation with Jason who has now sprinted into action. You are not stronger than the vortex. We need a plan. I got this. You don't have this. We need a plan. We can't just go in there. We gotta pray, we gotta do something. You can't go in the vortex. I love Jason, good friend of mine, jumps right in the vortex. He's gonna catch her before she gets in there. Problem is that she caught herself on a rock. She's not in the vortex. Now Jason is in the vortex and he's being sucked down. You ever seen the Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory where he's stuck in the tube? I'm watching my friend stuck like this and the pressure is starting to build up. And other people, I gotta go get him. I was like, hold on, that's what got us there in the first place. I know that everybody wants to panic and it's really bad if I'm the only calm one in the situation. I'm just gonna tell you, if I'm the last one that's calm left, remember, I struggle with panic disorder. If I'm up panicking, I probably am, I'm just not showing it. So I'm like, we're gonna make a chain, a human chain, and we're gonna pull him out. So we do, it takes us a little bit because we gotta figure this out. We end up pulling him out of there. He's no longer in danger. Why, because we took some time, we came up with a plan to gently correct our friend who had made a very grave error, almost cost him his life. I remind him all the time that I saved his life and he owes me lunch. <laughs> Eternally. I told you I wasn't excited about sharing this message because I don't want a church where we're known for what we're against. I want to be known as a church for the things we're known for. Now King Nebuchadnezzar, unfortunately, he doesn't, he doesn't follow Daniel's advice. And at the end, it says this, Daniel 4, 34, it says, at the end of time, at the end of the seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High, I honored and glorified him who lives forever. Sometimes you're gonna have to take a risk when you're standing firm. Maybe in your marriage, you're gonna have to say, you know what? I've been a doormat for a long time. I love you, we need help in a loving confrontation 
you might have a supervisor, somebody above you who really doesn't give you the time of day and you're just gonna have to stop him and go, you know what, hey, I really have something to offer here. Will you give me a chance? Before it gets too far, before it gets out of control, maybe you have a child that's going down the wrong way. And you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to go out on a limb and risk it and say, you know what, I love you too much to let you go down this path. I was young too, will you please listen to what I have to say. When the Holy Spirit connects in your heart and works through you in God's perfect timing, in God's perfect way, and when you gently and humbly start putting people back on the right path, it's not because we're right and they're wrong, it's because it's our desire, our sincere desire that everybody be right with God. That's the reason we confront people is so that everybody will be right with God. When you do that, lives will be changed. Daniel did what, what was right. He didn't get the results he wanted. He didn't want the king to have to live seven years like that. But let me tell you something. Do what God asks you to do and then trust him with the results. One of the things if you're gonna to learn to stand out is you're gonna to have to learn how to pray as if everything depends on you, knowing that it doesn't. You're gonna to have to learn how to pray as if everything depends on you. You need to be available for a vessel for God to use and help point others back to Him. Today, that's my question to you. It's super simple. You'd say, Pastor Darrell, that's me. I want to be a vessel that helps push people back to God. I'm, I'm willing to pray fully, prayerfully learn how to confront people, how to love on them, and how to guide them back on the right path. Will you bow your heads and close with me? Close your eyes with me. Say, Pastor Darrell, I want to be a vessel for God to use to help point others back to Him. Will you raise your hands right now just so I can pray for you? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hands are going up all over this place. Jesus, lead us to confront others towards truth. That you give us the words to say, the timing and the approach that your Holy Spirit would even go before our hearts. God, I pray right now for marriages. Those who need to stand up and prayerfully God, ask for an adjustment in their marriage. I pray that you provide it. Lord, I pray for parents who are praying and trying to get the strength to confront their children. I pray that you give them the wisdom, the words, and soften hearts. God, I pray for those who are under conviction of your Holy Spirit right now, just by being in this room, because they haven't been doing what you called them to do. God, help them to be in right relationship with you. Say, Lord, I'm ready. I'm here by faith. Use me. Change my life. Heavenly Father, we need you to help us to stand out, not blend in, and to confront those who need a confrontation and be loving. I pray I ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Can we give a hand to those who prayed with us today?